With a history of 5,000 years, it's no surprise that China has created a fabulous treasury of folk tales. Once a year, on the seventh day of the seventh month, all the magpies fly up to heaven and form a bridge. So many amazing worlds to discover. I want a new palace, said King Mu of Zhou one day. Chinese folk tales retold for audiences today. Will, will you marry me? He asked. And with little hesitation, she said, <laughs> Yes! 5,000 years of amazing Chinese folk tales. My father must not go to war. Someone must take his place. You'll find Chinese Folk Tales Season 3, wherever you discover your favorite podcasts. keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Roundtable. Coming to you from Beijing, I'm He Yang. Good as always to have you join us. China has pushed itself to the forefront of the self-driving industry. Now the capital city has given some companies the go-ahead for driverless taxis on the road. How does the public feel about getting into a robo-taxi? And you probably have heard some version of this saying, don't quit your job without having another one lined up. Is it time to ditch this cliche? In the past, career gaps were often viewed as unfavorable, but now this perception may have changed. There should be less stigma of career gaps, and is it happening? For today's program, I'm joined by Guo Yan in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line, first on today's show. For the futuristic technology we see in movies and television, few have the appeal and the sense of being tantalizingly close as self-driving or autonomous vehicles. Now, Beijing has officially given the green light to driverless taxis by launching a commercial operation of autonomous vehicles and expanding their serviceable area. AI and self-driving vehicles continues to grab the limelight at the 2023 World Artificial Intelligence conference, which took place in Shanghai from July the 6th to 8th. Top executives of tech companies around the world came together to demonstrate and discuss how AI stimulates the economy and transforms people's lives. Now, folks in Beijing can hail a driverless cab via a special app to travel from A to B, and AI technology is in here being utilized. One thing to keep in mind, it's still within a certain premise when this is being operated. So tell us what's going on now. Earlier this month, authorities in Beijing have started to allow eligible companies to operate driverless taxis without safety supervisors on board and charge passengers for the rides. The move marked a big step forward in commercialization of intelligent transportation. Also, it plans to allow commercial operation of the driverless taxis in an area of 500 square kilometers. Interested companies can apply for commercial operation permits. Since March, robot taxi have been put into trial operation in Beijing, and um, this provides opportunities for ordinary people, for the public in big cities, to have access to robot taxi services. Yes, indeed. And 116 self-driving taxis have been rolled out in this trial that Goyan just mentioned mm-hmm. to us in Beijing for the past four months. And huge Chinese tech giant Baidu and autonomous mobility startup Xiaoma Zhixing or Pony AI won permits to operate driverless taxis through their ride-hailing apps within a 60-square-kilometer area in the southern suburbs of Beijing. And it was free then, but now since, you know, it's a real operation going on, then people will need to pay for such things. And according to the office, they have completed over 1.5 million test trips, and the total length of the trips reached nearly 2 million kilometers, over 95% of passenger ratings have been favorable. So Josh, how do you feel about robo-taxis being on the road? And it's not just in China, these major cities, as well as in San Francisco and some of the other big cities around the world, something similar is happening. 
Well, how do I feel about it? That's quite a broad question. I guess that I don't think that there's any particular downsides to autonomous vehicles being on the roads in general. I think that that probably is where we're heading, although it's going a lot more slowly than people anticipated, actually. We've had autonomous vehicles for a couple of decades now, actually, and still we rarely see them on the roads. And I think that that's very telling of um, the big issues that these vehicles still face, and they are serious issues. But actually, the issues are a lot more complex than I think people often think they are. It's not just because there's technological limitations. Of course, there are technological limitations, but actually there's a lot of other massive issues that stand in the way of these vehicles being on the road um, and being cheaper, obviously. If there were more of them on the road, if they were more commonplace, there'd be more investment in the technology and they would be cheaper. Right now, they're mm. pretty expensive. Yeah. So my feelings towards it are pretty positive, to be honest. Yes, you've always been positive <laughs> with uh, tech breakthroughs, <laughs> as well as driverless cars, autonomous uh, vehicles uh, taking the road. And I still remember the first time when we talked about this a long time ago, Josh, you made the very good point that ideally it would be it's all only driverless cars in the streets. And that's mm. like how the system can work perfectly i suppose and also yeah. with you know state-of-art wi-fi and you know super fast connection so to speak so but but we're far from that right and it's just a very complicated situation on the road and when we look at how this trial has been uh, operating here in beijing what do the officials say in their review when it comes to you know this trial that we've talked about and i guess also we need to know what the passengers say about the trial period as well because i think these answers can in a way bolster our confidence in well how well the robo taxis can can be well, according to Xu Hongwei, executive deputy director of the office, all preliminary tests and free trials have laid a solid foundation for the commercial launch of unmanned vehicles and provided a wealth of experience in unmanned demonstration applications. During the commercial run of driverless taxis, more attention will be paid to the assessment of service capabilities for autonomous mobility companies, with the focus being on reviewing three risk aspects. First, passenger safety. Second, traffic conditions. And then, autonomous driving functions. I think the safety of the passengers and uh, the safety of the pedestrians and cyclists on the roads mm. Is the top concern for officials? Yeah, of course. Yeah, for anybody, and also if you drive or mm -hmm. you happen to have taken a walk in the busy streets of Beijing, this is sometimes I feel too much to handle, even for a human being who's like super focused with eyes on the road. And when you let a machine to do that, um, I think there are definitely some of these worries that rightfully mm -hmm. so need to be assuaged before people want to be on board. And Guoyan, you've actually been in one of these taxis when you're reporting on autonomous driving vehicles. Mm -hmm. So how was your experience? The autonomous driving or autonomous car sector is actually one of the emerging sectors here in China. And uh, when I was writing stories and doing interviews on the topic of autonomous driving in April, I started to notice that this sector is actually has shown huge potential for growth in the future. Actually, in China's major economic and social development plan, also known as the five-year plan, this sector, the growth of the sector is very important part. And um, I was also writing stories about the development of China's vocational education. And I visited a one of the top vocational schools in Beijing. And I found that there, the school has started to open new majors, including the ICV technology, which refers to in the intelligent connected vehicles technology. To put it simple, 
autonomous driving.、Mm. I started to wonder why do these vocational schools start to open new majors like this? The senior teachers of the school told me that because the rapid development of the sector needs more talent to help the. Related business、mm-hmm. to grow,、mm-hmm. so they have decided to open new major, and、uh, the next year they will also expand their enrollments because、right. the current number of students cannot meet the demand of some tight giants. All to, right, yeah, in this sector. Yeah, on the show we've talked b- about、mm-hmm. this many times with the development of AI and so many cutting edge technologies. It would possibly、uh, displace lots of jobs, but、mm-hmm. as Guoyan, you were saying here, then it's also it's creating, creating new jobs. Yeah, and it、mm-hmm. needs new talent、mm-hmm. to go into the industry. So that's definitely promising news. When you got into that robo taxi, when you were doing some reporting,、mm-hmm. um, what was the process like? Was it smooth? Was it scary to get into the vehicle when nobody's sitting on the driver's seat?、Um, what was that like? I think it was a surreal experience.、Uh, when I was writing these reports, I thought it would be better for it would be helpful for my writing if I really go for a ride in one of those driverless cars. And then I started to search online. I bided where I can find those robo taxis, and I found that somewhere, which is、uh, around 15 minutes drive from our radio station. Has a test ground for those driverless cars. It's Shougang Park. You know that very popular tourist site,、mm. and the park hosted the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics. And、uh, we found that there are some robot taxis. Before you book the taxi, you have to download an app. The app was produced by the tech giant Baidu. It's、um, actually Baidu has a robot taxi division. Uh, it's called Apollo Autonomous Driving, and、uh, you download the app on your phone, and then you try to select a spot where you want to go.、Mm-hmm. And the app actually is quite similar to the popular hailing app like Didi,、mm-hmm. which is very popular in China, and、uh, but a way simpler version of that. And you choose the spot, and then you click confirmation. Then the car will move. Here, where you are, and then after the car stopped, you have to enter the last four digits of your phone number on the back of the car, and then the door slowly opened. You get onto the car, and then there's some voice tell you what you are gonna do, what the next steps you have to conduct,、mm-hmm. and then you follow their instruction, the autonomous thing, and then the door closed. And、uh, the car set off, but actually, it's very. It moved quite slowly、uh-huh. at the beginning for the first two to three minutes, and then it gradually picked up speed, and then it ran faster and faster. And why did I say it's a surreal experience? Is because there's nobody behind the wheel. Actually,、mm-hmm. <laughs> there、um, there is a transparent、uh, plastic board、mm-hmm. that set. It's not plastic or glass board.、Mm-hmm. I, I, I'm not quite sure the material with it. Transparent board that sep the board separate the seat of the driver and the back seat of the passengers.、Mm-hmm. I don't know why do they put a board there. Perhaps <laughs>、no、because they、be- don't. Oh, oh they don't want they you to don't interfere. Wa- yeah. Yeah. Exactly. That's a good reason. <gasps> oh, so if there's an emergency,、mm-hmm. is there not anything you can do? Can you just、Nothing. only sit there? Can you、yes. like open the door of the car and get out? No, no, I don't think so. Wow, interesting. So, what was the best part of the experience, and possibly the thing you feel? Oh, it, this could use some improvement. I can tell you a small thing that happened during our trip when we were in the car, and it abruptly stopped. Oh, in front of a a crossroad、mm-hmm. where. A group of students walking past the road. I think that's one of the best part about the, the autonomous driving. It can detect pedestrians immediately. Okay, and that's 
Yeah, because good to know. I, I know what I don't know whether you're a good driver for some drivers. Of course I am. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't an insult. <laughs> and then I was thinking the development of autonomous driving might help drivers to overcome blind spot oh. and sometimes or fatigue driving. Mm. Mm-hmm. I think that you bring up a really good point, which is actually one of the massive obstacles that stands in the way of fully automated vehicles populating our streets and that is public trust and acceptance Mm. i think that to achieve widespread adoption these vehicles they really need to gain our trust and acceptance right and that's actually really difficult um because of the safety issue right and there have been a few high profile incidents involving autonomous vehicle accidents and it only takes a couple of them for people to get really scared even though ultimately I think most experts would agree that autonomous vehicles in the long run would be way safer and there'd be way less accidents on the road if there were more autonomous vehicles because the human error would be, to a greater degree, much removed, right? But still, that trust and that inability, as you say, to leave the vehicle or if there is a quote-unquote emergency, not be able to do anything, not be able to step in, I think it's going to take quite a long time for the public's mindset to change. Um, And that's definitely one of the biggest obstacles. Well, Josh, you've shown you have a lot more faith in this than a lot of other people. Because is the premise of what your your argument basically that this technology needs to get better and there needs to be more of these autonomous driving vehicles on the road? Because right now, the technology doesn't seem to be completely there yet just again i invite you to imagine the situation in a busy beijing street you've got the daredevils of uh those food delivery guys you know coming one way you've got the grandma who's trying to cross the road the other way and also just think of let's say a street in india you know maybe an ox is also trying to cross the road um are the sensors okay. really, you know, perfect to that extent to to handle this kind yeah. of messy situation? It's a great question. I'm really glad that you asked this question as well, um, because I wanted to talk about this. So what, what you say is very true. And this is the big issue. And um, actually, the main issue here that a lot of people don't acknowledge is the ethical and moral consideration. Mm-hmm the sensors and the technology actually do exist. They're pretty advanced. But the problem is, is that when you're on the road, in order to be safe, you actually have to break the law a lot of the time. For example, you have to stop in the middle of the road if there's an emergency. Sometimes you have to speed up and break the speed limit, for example, right? In order to take over a vehicle. There's so many different ethical and moral considerations. And this is a massive issue because, as you say, if there's an ox in the road, right is what should the car do who who makes that decision who makes that moral decision for the vehicle and th- this is a massive issue that's standing in the way and so ultimately the point you bring up is is really good because it seems to me at least in my opinion that the only way that we can get over these moral considerations the only way that we can have i don't think we can have fully autonomous vehicles on the road at the same time as having non-autonomous vehicles. I think it's a bit of an all or nothing thing. I really do. I think we've got to go all autonomous or it's not just it's just going to be too much friction, you know? It's never going to be smooth. I think that's one of the reasons why in Beijing driverless taxis only are allowed to be on the road in the limited areas. Mm. Because the I think the authority have taken a precautions attitude toward autonomous driving. Um, just like Josh have said, there would be a huge ethical problem in this regard. Yeah, you can't. Well, there are so many technical issues that needs to be sorted out even before the ethical issues, in my opinion. And also, just think of let's say if something bad happens. Touch wood, but this has happened all over the world as well. I mean, uh, even if you just look at the U.S. in 2020, the American National Highway Traffic Safety Administration looked at almost 400 crashes over 10 months involving 
the so-called advanced driver assistance technologies, and in those crashes, six people died and five were seriously injured. And something bad happens, let's say. And then who's gonna bear legal responsibility? Nobody's behind the wheel. Is the car company gonna pay for liabilities? Is the driver who's at the back seat? Well, is the passenger at the back seat the one liable? And if you are a family member of the victim, you're not gonna let these people off the hook easily, obviously. So, yeah, who's gonna be responsible in exactly. that situation? Yeah, the car company, or the owner of the car, or somebody who designed that autonomous driving system. Mm -hmm. Who is gonna be take the responsibility? The car company. The car company. Right. It has to be the car company, right? And this is—they're the ones that put it out on the road. Well, also you so. could argue that well, the government also allowed this thing on the road without you know answering all those you know foreseeable problems that I don't think it takes a rocket scientist to point mm. all of them out. Even just an average member of the public would know that you know these things happen. What do you do about it?、Mm, that's a good question. <laughs> well, I mean. It's true what you say, but products are out there all the time, and dangerous products go out on the market and then are recalled all the time. Right? This this happens a lot. And yes, there are many regulations in place to prevent this and try and stop this. But there's so many things on the shelves that are dangerous for us. And I guess that the difference here with autonomous vehicles is that they're just sort of extra scary and extra expensive. And I think that yeah, they're they're potentially life threatening. But I mean. So are many things that you can buy legally in this world, right? But usually, there's some layers of protection, or there is more studying, or more, I suppose, legal cases that already took place, and I think、um, the risks are maybe a bit smaller than what this could be. And there are a lot of technological breakthroughs have to be made in the future, I guess, because the. The safety of these cars are largely depend on the stability of the next generation of the internet, like the five G technology. What if there is a latency、mm. on the network that would be catastrophic for the passengers?、Uh, that made me think of something a bit smaller, but I think it's possibly touching a sensitive nerve of some users. That is. Can you imagine the amount of data that needs to be collected for this autonomous driving vehicle to work? And also, some people are saying that、uh, you need to give like instructions. And what's being touted in the future is that maybe this car can, which is also a moving computer, can come up with the best routes, the、uh, tailor-made stops for you or whatnot. Anyhow, so it might even need to like look at your text messages. Or emails, or a lot of things. It's just beyond just giving one order, and then this moving computer, which is also a car, would、uh, basically be tapping into、mm -hmm. your personal activity and so much data. And are you willing to give that up? And do you feel that possibly it's spying on you? And I mean, the argument goes into a bit of a trite state. That is, yeah, about privacy, about the breach of privacy as such. So yeah, a lot to think about. I don't think we even have privacy today. <laughs> well, in a, some people, you know, sort of just in the era of big data and artificial intelligence, we all have to, you know, concede part of our privacy. Or you just don't use it. Or we should have better laws and regulations. And I know this is being molded right now that.、Um, The user experience, as well as you know, this whole process should be more human-oriented. It should, you know, at least protect some of the very basic rights as a human being. Josh, this one, I guess we'll we'll go to you. This one, because、uh, Goyan just just finished off what she wanted to say. So, yes,、sure. um, when we turn back to Beijing with these commercial. Robo taxi permits being given out right now. What do you think this might mean for the industry? Well, when you ask me that question, what I think, the way I think about your question is, how do I see the future of the roads、um, and, I guess, taxi services in general? And honestly, I, I see roads and cities in general infrastructure being completely different. 
um, when this becomes more commonplace. I think that the days of being able to drive your own car around will one day be gone. I think that they will be only allowed on racetracks and designated areas. I think that we will look back at this time in 50 or 100 years, if we are still here, and think how insane it was that we were allowed to drive around in these massive death traps. So that's, <laughs> so I think that the industry is going to be much safer and better and more efficient, to be honest. That's interesting. You jump from death trap to better industry and safer and everything. Yeah. At least we'll <laughs> yeah. suffer less rush hours in the future. That would might, might be a concern. Wow, you two surprise oh, sure. me by how optimistic you are. Um, to, okay, let me just offer another way of what this, uh, you know, the future might hold for autonomous driving. If we have so many real obstacles in front of us, then, well, I challenge you, Josh, if we can get to that stage when, you know, the city has to change according to autonomous driving. Maybe, maybe we won't even get there. Maybe. You're listening to Roundtable. Coming up next, we discuss how to bust the stigma for career gaps. D-Dive, a podcast of CGT Radio. Go beyond headlines with reporters from around the world. Search for Deep Dive on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, or wherever you listen. Take a deep dive into the news every week. Hear our conversations. Discussion keeps the world turning. This is Roundtable. You're listening to Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Guo Yan in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. Coming up, coming out of the pandemic, millions of workers around the world have months of gaps in their careers. In the past, career gaps were often viewed as unfavorable, with employers and recruiters viewing them as a sign of a lack of motivation or commitment to the job market. However, since the global pandemic, that perception may have changed. We take a fresh stab at the stigma of employment gaps and a digital map of all locations of public toilets, which also signifies a real-time occupancy rate, sounds really useful for tourists or anybody looking to get their business taken care of. We give you an update on how public restroom facilities have undergone a revamp in this country. Our podcast listeners can find us at Roundtable China on Apple Podcasts. We love that you listen to the show and we also want to hear from you. Your observations, questions, and comments, we would appreciate every one of them. And if you have a question you'd like us to discuss on the show or you have some thoughts you want to share with us, please send your voice memo or email to ezfmroundtable at foxmail.com. Your voice could be featured in our show in our heart-to-heart segment now on Roundtable as we continue today's discussion. From career transitions to personal circumstances, sometimes folks have gaps in between jobs. And when looking for the next job, addressing these periods of unemployment may be a touchy part during the interview. Uh, especially given the fact that during the last three plus years, uh, it'd be difficult to have one job lined up uh, without a gap in between for a lot of folks around the world. So, okay, let's go back in time a little bit. Why was it that the employment gap could be seen as a red flag? When it comes to explaining employment gaps, the um, there is already a consensus. For some HR people, um, when a job seeker says, I wanted to enrich myself. And this word is invariably interpreted as having financial security and not having to worry about basic needs for the past couple of years, which means that the job seeker might not in want of money and he or she might be born in a rich family, an affluent family. And uh, so for many HR people, they don't like 
this kind of attitude because they want someone who can devote their、uh, energy and efforts, time into their daily work, rather than someone who just need a job not for money, just for for their passion, perhaps for these people who who are not in want of money. Yeah,、um, I think that the issue is quite difficult to explain.、Um, I mean, there's several. Uh, pieces of advice that I can certainly give、um, to to the individual, but、uh, I think that it's yeah. Like we're we're not still talking about like before the pandemic. Like why was it that oh having an unemployment gap a, a problem like in the、uh, job seeking process? Or I mean, did it used to be that situation in your country? Like with what you're familiar with. I don't think that it's it was ever a a massive issue to be honest. I d- definitely the pandemic normalized it for sure,、mm. so it's be- definitely become less of an issue. And I think that everybody、uh, that I know has either directly or indirectly, through somebody close to them, a family member or a partner, been affected by an employment gap or、um, being made redundant. So yeah,、um, before I think it was pretty stigmatized, but I, I don't know. In my own country, people are pretty good at navigating this. I'm not sure if it's because I spent so much time in London, where people just change jobs almost every year. It's it seems strange for people to have jobs for more than one year. So it's getting more and more normal to have employment gaps. Actually, so people are getting increasingly good at explaining them. But definitely, the stigma has been reduced because of the pandemic. Right.、Sure. So. When you are、um, job hopping, then it's inevitable that sometimes you would get a couple of months of gaps in between, right? But if it goes beyond, let's say, a couple of months, and is it something that people feel, or was it something that people feel?、Uh, I'll need to explain for those six months, for example, why. I wasn't working, and also Guoya mentioned something earlier about oh, might that insinuate that maybe you have a financial cushion to rely on, and therefore the future employer or the potential employer might see you as you might not be as hardworking or something like that. Don't you think that is a big presumption to to assume? Yeah, it's a bit of a presumption. I guess that it depends how you market yourself, though. I mean, you could market yourself、um, as somebody that doesn't need the work because you are so good at your job. You know,、um, I guess it just depends how you present yourself.、Um, and yeah, if you go in there presenting yourself as like, "Well, I've got all of this money. I don't really need this job. I don't really need to work hard." Then sure, but. Who would go into an interview like that? I don't, I don't know anybody that would do that, right? I certainly wouldn't. Well, hey, what what about this? If you go in as okay, I, I'm somebody who actually loves this job. I'm here, yes, for my passion. Maybe I don't need this money like desperately to put food on the table and feed my baby tonight. But this, I'm here because I'm truly in it, and I'm, and I'm willing to. Do things for what I truly love and enjoy, and if I'm the HR person, I I might be persuaded by this. <laughs> But for most companies, they need people who have some stable personality traits that can ensure that they can work for a long period in the company. Stability is one of their top concerns for HR people. So they're they're they would prefer somebody who's desperate for money. Not desperate, but need money.、Mm. If you just like you said, you, you you tell the HR people, I'm passionate about this job. This HR people will question, what about when your passion just dwindled? What would happen? Will you let leave this company? Well, okay. Well, <laughs> there are yeah, and many, companies many... won't. I think companies won't help someone for their passion, but for their capability for doing this job. Well, what if you have both? You know, well, there's just so many what ifs with、um, this kind of <laughs> presumption, I guess. So, are there situations when having these gaps in your CV of employment not really a big deal? It's like something that the HR would just not bat an eye about. I've never had a gap here in my life, but I I know some friends who work in some tight giants in China. They are in charge of the human resources affairs 
of the of those companies, um, they don't like someone who has a gap period over half a year. That is almost a almost a psychological level for those HR people. They might question where you were or what have you done during that half year. That that is too long for them to not having a job. Yeah. Okay. Josh, then in that sense, how do you explain yourself then? Because I also feel that this is really just inhumane, you know. Like, why does it that okay, we need to live, we need to earn money, and or whatnot? But nowadays, you know, people are talking about burnout. People are talking about you know wanting to switch careers, and what? And not everybody has the financial.、Um, Agility or the、uh, the the courage to do it sometimes, but anyhow, if somebody does it, and just explain, well, this is yeah, just a, a tough、yeah. world out there, I guess. You know, you have to explain yourself. Like, what did you do for that、yeah. six plus months or whatnot? How do you present yourself in a way that is going to up the ante of getting that job? To be quite frank, I think, and this may differ from culture to culture, so you guys can tell me.、Mm-hmm. Um, and we've spoken about this a lot, actually, which is why we have roundtable, right? We we want to analyze and identify the differences here. But I would say, and this is by no means、uh, advice for anybody necessarily, but being frank, honest, and transparent, I think that that is the best way to start.、Um, certainly in my own culture in the UK. I think when you address when you address anything, something like an employment gap is pretty normal,、um, and I think it's really important to be honest because honesty. Why is honesty so important, especially with a potential new employer? Well, I think that it builds trust, and I think that it demonstrates integrity, and I think that's a, a really important asset when it comes to an employee. And if you ask an awkward question, if there's an elephant in the room, and I mean, God forbid that they find out that you're lying. That's the worst case scenario. But it, it may not even be a direct lie. But if something goes unexplained and they have that niggle and think,、mm, "I'm not really sure," that could damage your chances of getting the job way more than just if you're really honest with them. And of course, honesty can come in many different forms, right? <laughs> Ooh, you don't have to tell them how much you. <laughs> It hated your old employees, and that your your boss was this and that, and that you had many fights and arguments at work. Right? You don't have to <laughs>、oh, say、no. that, but you can still be. You know, you can think about how to word it, and you can maybe consult some other people beforehand. Be prepared, but ultimately, be prepared to be honest in a professional way.、Mm. I think that's the starting point for me. Do you guys agree with me or not? I I wonder if you do. Can I say there's a cultural difference between Britain and China?、Mm-hmm. I think Josh, where、uh, the country where Josh is living, is more tolerant for gap period, especially、right. after the pandemic. I feel、yeah. it's not just in the UK, but in the US and a lot of countries around the world because it's just impossible. Everybody knows, you know, there's people you know have been in between jobs for months, if not maybe even more than a year, and、mm-hmm. so it's completely normalized. It. it sounds like the gap period is actually not a big deal in Britain, but in China, it's quite the different thing. Do you think it still is? Yes, it still is a big thing in China. If you mention taking the gap year for self improvement, or Further study, having no financial burdens with a significant savings, no children, and no personal commitments, the company will think you don't even need the job, and the HR people will question whether you have something like、um, personality traits that could ensure you can stay on the position for a certain period or longer time. And、um, if you say too little about this period, it may also indicate a lack of career plans and insufficient motivation, which can become an excuse for HR to reject you. Employment gaps here of less than six months aren't likely to even stand out. Six months is a fairly normal time frame for a job search, so you may not even need to explain a shorter gap. But six months is. Quite 
the benchmark. As, yeah, the yeah. benchmark, a psychological threshold. Well, what you just said earlier on about、um, having to explain yourself and childless and stuff, and I think it's just going to be even more unfriendly for women,、uh, especially if you have you've passed a certain age and、um, if you have to explain yourself that way. Then, if the employers have plenty of workers that they potential workers that they can choose from, and then no wonder it is. A pretty difficult、uh, employment situation for、um, some fellow workers than others in that sense, and also I think the overall job employment market has something to do with this. If it's you know it's sort sort of like if it's a buyer's market, then yeah, you know who's、uh, has got more of the、uh, leeway of choice, and if it's the other way around, then、um, sometimes. Then you have to just go above and beyond in trying to present yourself in a really favorable light. Well, yeah, like sometimes,、mm-hmm. and just look at the people's choices these days. And sometimes、mm-hmm. people legitimately need to take a break. For example, you have somebody to take care of in your family,、oh, or maybe、yeah. you relocated to a different、mm-hmm. city, or you decided to. Do something different, and、uh, don't you think these factors, or maybe other factors, also exist so that you know people need to take a gap in between jobs? Yes, I think that would be one of the justified reasons. For example, in China, many people of my generation are single child of the family, and we have to take care of our parents. What if you? A person who is very young, but he or she is the sole provider of the family and has to take care of one of an ailing father or mother. That's a situation facing a whole generation here in China. This probably my- increasingly will become an issue of、yeah. needing to take these. Can I call them carer breaks or something like that? Because、mm-hmm. you need to look after a family member, but also you mentioned something.、Mm-hmm. If this Person is the sole provider of the family. That is bad news because if you can't work, if you're taking care of a ailing family member,、mm-hmm. then where does the money come from? That explains why Chinese people like to save up. You're saving up for a rainy day. You're saving up for a day when maybe you necessarily need to take a break、mm-hmm. from work because. Maybe you're needed in other ways in your family or or whatnot. Yeah, this is really heavy stuff. It turned out to be. Yeah, but sometimes if you are forced into a situation where you have to have a gap here, what are you gonna do? Are there any positive things that you can do to make sure that the HR people won't question you over that period? I think there's a lot of things you can do. It depends. It depends how you wanna. Fashion it again. There's so many things that you can do other than paid work that can look amazing on your resume. It depends what you want to do with a year. If you really want to take the initiative to, or you're concerned that that year may damage your career, then there's volunteer work. There's professional development programs. You could take a a year out to do some studying. You don't even have to study full time. You can take some courses, and that looks great on your CV. You can. Again, fashion it, market it as you taking some time out for professional development, or to learn a language, or there's all kinds of things you can do. You just get creative with it, and you can make it look, you can make it look even better than work if you really want to. I think. Can you <laughs> upgrade your work skills? Yeah, why well, not? Well, do those things work in China though? I mean, maybe the best. Well, it's not really an excuse. This must have happened in real life. Have a baby,、yeah. you know that kind of thing is what the HR can't say no to. But since you have already had baby, <laughs> paternal leave, <laughs> you've already taken that. <laughs> But I think in China, if you since they、uh, we're allowed to have two or three babies, if you have. Had a baby in the HR circle. If the potential employees have already delivered babies, and the HR people would more likely to hire her. Well, I think we can also think about this from the employer's perspective, and I guess that 
it depends where you are in the interview process, because it seems to me that we're talking about quite a specific part of the interview process where maybe you've already got the interview. Of course, if you're sending out a resume and you're not getting any interviews and you fear that it may be because of the employment gap in your resume, then it might be time to address just the formatting of your resume. But we've got to remember that there's a reason that you've maybe got that interview at this point, and that's because the employer is genuinely interested in your value and they see that you have some sort of value here. You obviously think that you have some value to offer and that's why you applied to that job, I presume. I hope so anyway. And so focus on that. Focus on the qualifications. Focus on the achievements, you know, because I don't think that the employers care as much as we think about the employment gap, actually. I don't know. Do, I think that we're all living in our own little movie here a little bit and focusing on the negative parts of our of ourselves as humans always do but actually we need to refocus this a bit and remember that people are also focusing on our positive sides and this may just be a tiny little blip that can be explained pretty quickly i know i mm. think that when i've interviewed people before mm. i don't really care about employment gaps i care about what you're going to bring to this job yeah <sighs> Um, and, and also I saw all these news reports uh, coming from the UK and the US and uh, even New Zealand, I believe, um, just talking about this major attitude shift towards uh, this gap in between jobs and saying that maybe in the past there was a certain level of cynicism that goes into, um, you know, seeing employment gaps in the CV. But now maybe there is even a certain level of curiosity that the um, employer is looking at it in a far more positive way than it used to be. And I was just kind of looking for something similar here in China. And <laughs> um, yeah. Maybe in the future, perhaps. Let's wish in the future the gap here or gap half a year could be a new normal in people's career. Is yeah. that possible? Make sure For example, they, oh. when you, after spending years in a certain job, you might, your knowledge might be out of the date and you need some time, like half a year or a full year to improve your skills and learn new knowledge in your field. Mm -hmm. Thus, you can have more, you know, leverage for your next career. Mm -hmm. Coming up next, we take a look at a national standard that's rolled out to improve your public restroom experience. Stay tuned. Looking for passion? How about fiery debate? Want to hear about current events in China from different perspectives? Then tune in to Roundtable, where East meets West, and understanding is the goal. It's the Hour of Roundtable with myself, He Young. I'm joined by Guo Yan in the studio and Josh Cotterell on the line. A digital map of public restrooms on your smartphone comes in handy when one's desperate in answering the call of nature. The government wants 95% and above coverage of all public toilets. It hopes this arrangement will effectively address the difficulty of finding public toilets for tourists. This is part of the campaign of... The Toilet Revolution. The government has published a national standard for public restrooms, which vows to provide visitors with clean, safe, and environmentally friendly restroom facilities. So how can the management of public toilets be improved at this point? The ministry has called for setting up specific goals on the implementation of the standardization. By the end of the 14th five-year plan, the implementation rate of the 2022 national standard for tourist toilets should reach 90% or above. That would mean more public toilets will be established or be set up in some in many popular tourist spots in China. And uh, I think that's a good news for all of us who love traveling. For <laughs> that was, I think, one of the most awkward moments for me during a travel is that when I really, really in desperate need of a public toilet and I couldn't find one. 
That is really awkward. And now you can just check your smartphone, and then there will、mm-hmm. be like blinking dots on <laughs> the nearby toilets that are vacant. Actually, that can I already、go. downloaded a map on my phone, a、All、Baidu、right. wipe map, and、uh, and you just uh, uh, choose toilet. It has this. Kind of selection, and you select the toilet. Then there will be a whole page of public toilet. All the positions are marked out. Then, and it also has some tips for you to find out them、mm-hmm. in Beijing. Yeah,、mm-hmm. Josh, why do you think this is something that we should care about? <laughs> a bit obvious, huh? I think it's definitely something. You know, I, I feel like it's something we should care about because. The technology and our ability is there to do it.、Um, I mean, I get even frustrated in my own country because when I go to other countries around the world, I I am just so impressed by how hygienic the toilets are, and I just don't know why. What's stopping us from doing this?、Uh, what's stopping hygiene standards from improving? Because it just makes life so much better when there's clean toilets everywhere. I mean, I, I it confuses me. It really does.、Um, so, yeah,、uh, it frustrates and confuses me.、Um, mm. And I think that often when I've been around China, the toilets are even better than some of the toilets in the UK. To be honest, so yeah, yeah. Well, What to do? <laughs> <laughs> I've certainly witnessed a major improvement in the facilities in the toilet as well as cleanliness、um, in public restrooms in China in the last. Few decades, I would say, and also、um, in the olden days, I remember going into the toilet. It's safe to always bring your own loo paper, or <laughs> or at least have something in in your pocket.、Um, and now I think you can just a lot of the times you can rely on the、uh, public restroom to provide you with、uh, that very much needed toilet paper.、Um, it's a small thing, but it matters. So much when one is in that dire situation. So, well, when we talk about the improvement、mm-hmm. of public toilets, then one thing is about infrastructure building. One thing is about service improvement. And do you have some thoughts about that? I think one good news that for me in this guidance issued by the tourism ministry is that the authority has called for allocating the ratio. Of male and female toilet seats, vigorously strengthened the construction of barrier-free toilets and family restrooms, and achieved full coverage of family restrooms in some top tourist resorts, and、um, as well as national and provincial tourist resorts.、Mm-hmm. That's for as a woman, I think women need the bathroom and toilets more often than men. So that's one of the areas that has been noticed by the authority. That's why it calls for adjusting the ratio of male and female toilet seats. I'm not sure if women need the toilet more often than men, but certainly it takes longer time for a woman to go through the process and get herself fixed up than what a man does. Simply, we're born differently. So.、Um, Yeah, and you all f- often see a longer queue in front of the female bathroom as opposed to the male. So maybe that explains. Okay, and that brings us to the end of today's roundtable. Thank you so much, Guo Yan and Josh Cotterell for joining the discussion. I'm He Yang. We will see you next time. <laughs>